Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Good to have you here with us today. we got a great guest we're going to be talking to and interviewing here in just a minute. But before we get into that, again, let me remind you, if you haven't already, you definitely want to stop by thespeakerlab.com slash guide. We have put together a seven-step guide all about how to find and book speaking engagements in 2017. So if you haven't already, make sure you download that, again, by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash guide and pick that up. I think you're really going to dig this. Totally free. Again, the speakerlab.com slash guide. All right. So today we're talking with my speaker buddy, Mike Michalowicz, and we got a lot that we're going to cover with Mike today. We get into, he gives some really meaty, practical tips and strategies, like just some like, here's a hack that I did to do for this. And here's a hack that I used for that. And all kinds of strategies like that, that I think you're really going to dig now, a couple things here I'll tell you about. Mike actually has a really weird spelling of a last name, Mike Michalowicz, all right? So, in fact, one of the things we talk about is you've got a weird name. How do you deal with the domain name for that? He has MikeMichalowicz.com, and you can check that out. But he gives a great, simple strategy on what he's done to deal with that because most people are like, Mike MikeMichalowicz.com? How do I find that? How do I get to that? So uh, we talk through that. And in fact, there's some great practical strategies he gives on dealing with that. In fact, in episode 59 of the podcast, you may want to check that one out as well. We talk about this as well on naming your domain, on website domain questions that pop up. So MikeMichalowicz.com and some of the strategies he shares here, I think you're really going to dig. So Mike and I, we talk about how he got started, how he built and grew his business. We talk about a great idea that he had called the Speakers Exchange, what it is, how he used it to connect with big speakers and share bookings, basically. Just used it as a a great, great way to share bookings with other speakers. We also talk about how he connected with a speaker's agent and yet still continues to the book the majority of his business on his own and, and why he still uses a speaker's agent as well. So a lot of great stuff, some really, again, practical, applicable stuff. Sometimes we just talk about I was going to say theories. They're not theories, but just stuff that makes you feel good and some, maybe some mindset stuff for speaking. But with Mike, he really gets into some really practical, tactical stuff that I think you're really going to dig. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Mike Michalowicz. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today I'm joined by my buddy, Mike Michalowicz which uh, I make that just roll off my tongue, but uh, that's from a lot of practicing. It, it looks very a lot Polish more complicated. I mean, your pronunciation of Polish is extraordinary. Okay, now I actually have a legit question. This is one that I wrote down here because I get this question a lot from speakers who are going, hey, I know I need a domain name. I teach and recommend that you have your own name as a domain. Grant Baldwin, thankfully, is easy to spell, but Michalowicz is not. So how have you kind of, Mike Michalowicz seems to be like your main site. How have you dealt with that over the years? 
I don't know who said it, but someone said, whatever your biggest weakness is, convert that to your biggest strength. And one of my biggest weaknesses, well, one of many, but my last name, no one knows how to spell it. No one knows how to pronounce it, but it's easy to make fun of. So what I did was I, if you go to my website, which is mikemichalowitz.com, and I'll give you another shortcut to get there, which is another kind of hack, but mikemichalowitz.com, once you get there, right on the homepage, there's this thing that says what. Uh, right in the center. Right. People click on it and it's this voiceover guy, like a voice of God just busted my balls. He's like, it's Michaela's shits. <laughs> my cow has tits. Like all these insults. And I can't tell you how many people that have found that click through the whole thing and A, they learn how to pronounce my name properly because he sticks it in there and says, okay, it's pronounced Michaela, but it's still stupid or whatever. But people just kind of keep clicking on it because it's always a new one uh, for <laughs> you know 30 or 40 cycles. So that's how I... I leveraged it. But I also found when people know how to pronounce it, they feel emboldened to teach others. So when, when other people are like, what's his name? Michala, Mika, Michala, what? Someone's like, oh, it's Michala. And then you got to go check out his website because they make fun of his name there. So they point back. Interesting. But, but the hack is like when I do a podcast or something like that, people are like, well, what's your website? I say, go to Mike Motorbike because that was my nickname in high school. <laughs> and it's, it's a mnemonic. You know, you, every mic's a motorbike. So Mike Motorbike and it forwards to my site. So that's a, another hack when you have a, a last name. Is that what you give on stage or like when you're talking with potential clients? Yeah, exactly. I said, Mike Motorbike. Okay. I said, can you picture me on a motorcycle? Yeah, well, now you can go to my domain, Mike Motorbike. I like it. And in fact, that's a great idea. And I think that that's uh, super applicable for a lot of speakers who have like kind of that weird name or their name as a domain is taken. And so being able to come up with something else that just forwards to your primary domain definitely works there. All right, man, let's kind of zoom back here. And once you give us kind of an overview here, I know that you do a lot of speaking, you've got several books out, you've got a couple different businesses that you've been a part of. So how does speaking fit into your business today? So speaking for me is represents half of my life. So I do own businesses. I did own businesses. I had the good fortune of selling some companies. And then, well, I went through some extreme struggles too that I put myself into, not intentionally, but I did. And then decided at a certain point, you know, I'm going to restart my life here. What do I want to be? And I wanted to be an author, but I mean a full-time, like this is my career. I wanted and still want to be my own version of Seth Godin or Malcolm Gladwell or whatever these other massive names in the business space where you think of Seth Godin, you think of an author, not he does own businesses. You don't think about that. You hear Malcolm Gladwell, he owns businesses on the side, but everyone knows him as an author. That's what I want to be. Cause I think that's the impact I can have. And then how it's translated into speaking now is I would say 50% of my time is related to speaking. So that's travel, delivering this perform the speech or performance and uh, preparing new ones which comes through the form of writing a book and then compressing it into stories, practicing those speeches, then you know, packaging up the stories even better in the books and kind of iterating through. So I'm, I, offline, we're talking about a new book I'm writing called Streamline. I'm already speaking on it to small groups, testing it out. The speech sucks right now, but at <laughs> least it's got started and that will further enhance the book and further enhance the speech. Got it. So when you were first getting started and you were in that spot of, I mean, it sounds like some piece of it was, I want to have kind of that, I don't know, maybe that notoriety or recognition that the, like you said, the Godins, the Gladwells of the world have. So it's one thing to go from, I want what they have to actually making progress toward that direction. So what made you feel like, 
you know, I can do that. I could be an author. I can be a speaker. Like, what were you maybe you, what were you doing at the time that helped you to feel like this is a path I should be on? Yeah, I, I think for me, it was not as much as I can do it. And I didn't even know if I really could, but I felt called to do it. And well, you're wearing a t-shirt, right? Passion, purpose, progress. I really connected with my purpose. And so for me, it was just a calamity. So what happened to me is I had these businesses. I thought I was Midas. I thought I was God. I became a total by the way, just arrogant. And I'm ashamed. I'm literally ashamed of my behavior of myself during that period. And after losing all my money, it was kind of this grand awakening. I actually went through depression for two years and just, it was a restart. I said, you know what? I got nothing now. I'm going to start over again. What do I feel called to do? And I've always been a fan of books. I love reading books. I love going to conferences when the speakers are great. And both those gentlemen I mentioned, I think they're both extraordinary. I think that in that position, you're on stage for 45 minutes or maybe an hour, and you literally have the opportunity to change lives. People are listening. If you're good, they're listening to every single word. And you have the opportunity to change lives. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want a a vehicle where I can literally change lives. So it spoke to what I felt called to do. And it spoke to my style. I have a very short attention span. And if if I do consulting work or something like that, where I have to work with people for three, four days, it's a disservice because I suck at that. I can't stay on top of it. But 45 minutes of straight talking, I can do that. Right, right. No, I feel the same way. Like doing a couple of days stuff, that's difficult. But I, in about 45 to 60 minutes, I, I'm decent. So I'm curious for you, especially when you're getting started of going, okay, I'm, I'm kind of making some big significant shifts in my life. I'm turning my life around. I know that I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference. I want to write and speak and have books and, and all these different things. But like, that sounds great. But where do you even begin with that? Like, what were some of those early steps that you took that to get traction? Yeah, so... When it comes to speaking, I found it, I think, is an extraordinary hack for myself, which I'll share in a second. I got started by you know, Speak Anywhere for free. And it's really valuable. You know, we have to kind of sharpen ourselves by just practicing. And there's nothing like practicing in front of a real audience. Right. Practicing in front of a mirror or to a tape, there's benefit for sure. Speaking to a real audience, you get the energy. You, you understand how the dynamics of an audience, how it can change on a dime. Literally, you can be giving your best speech ever and people will be falling asleep. And other times you can be giving a marginal speech and people are engaged and you just learn the dynamics of an audience and, and then how to work with it. And maybe if things are going sour, even if you're giving a great speech, how to make a turn and a shift to get it going again. So practice, practice, practice in front of real audiences for free. But here's the hack I found. You know, I did that for free for like a year and then I'm like, oh my God, I still have no money. I can't sustain much longer this way. I got to start making money, but no one knows who the hell I am and I'm really not that good of a speaker yet. So what do you do? Here's what I figured out. Go to colleges. And what I did is I, I found the local colleges in my area. I'm in New Jersey. So Rutgers, Princeton, but all the community colleges and the smaller state colleges and reached out to the entrepreneurs club. So whatever the topic is you speak on, you, you reach out to that club. So for me, it was business and entrepreneurship. I found out who the president was for the entrepreneurs club. And it's real easy. You just go to the Rutgers website and you go to their uh, clubs and organizations page and they have all the clubs listed with all the contacts at the club. Then I'd reach out to the president and this is what I'd say, I'm a speaker and I happen to be in your area on such and such, you know, this month or in such and such time frame, and would love the opportunity to speak to your chapter or your group or club. Would you be interested? Well, from their perspective, 
the answer is almost always hell yes, because they are required, they're mandated by the university to sustain a certain amount of educational activity for the club to maintain their charter. So these clubs would get back to me right away and say, yeah, we want you to speak. Then I say, you know, normally I get, you know, $5,000 to speak. I was getting zero. Normally I get $5,000 to speak, but because you're a club, I'll gladly discount to $3,000. Now here's the hack. Then I'd say, when I recognize you're a club, uh, you probably don't have much money at all. I don't know if you know, but the school, your university, and this is true for every university grant, has what's called a student activities fund or an SAF. Every university has this. A student activities fund is the money that the school reserves to bring in entertainment for the student body. So when they bring in the big famous comedian or rock band, it comes out of the student activities fund, but they also use it to subsidize the clubs they have. So I, there's no back. I say, you have a student activities fund. And if you're interested in having me, I will give you a templated letter that you can give to the administrator of the student activities fund to get my fees covered. And so then they would say, I didn't know that. And I'd respond and say, just give them this letter. And it would say, dear administrator, we'd like to bring this famous speaker guy in, Mike Michalowicz, to speak on entrepreneurship. He's amazing. And normally his fees are $10,000. we have negotiated them down to $3,000. And we're asking the student activities fund for $2,500. And we'll address the rest. Because these student activities funds, by the way, rarely want to subsidize 100%. So then the student activities fund will give 2500 And I tell the students, whatever the delta is, just make up for it. Don't pay me. Make up for an advertising. Just go around the campus and put stickers and stuff up. Put an effort in there to get people out to this event. And they would. And the result was, I'll never forget this. That when I did this, one of the events was at Drexel University in Philadelphia. I went down there. I remember walking in, the administrator comes up to me and says, oh, we're excited to have you. Here's a check. Puts the check for $3,000 in my hand, which blew me away. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been paying anything. And I went on stage and there were, <laughs> this was the embarrassing part. There was two people there to watch me present. And <laughs> before I have had presented to two people, but didn't get paid. And that is just like a knife to the chest, twisting around to tear your heart out. Right. This one was still embarrassing that no one gave a crap about me. But when there's a $3,000 check in your pocket, it ain't so bad. <laughs> that was the hack that got me started to get paid speaking. How often were you doing that uh, with, with schools? Because especially if you're just trying to do that locally, I mean, eventually you're going to run out of schools. So yeah. what were you doing that more on a, on a national or larger scale? Well, initially locally, it's shocking how many schools are around. So there's these community colleges. They all have it. There's junior colleges, which is also community college. There's local state schools and so forth. So New Jersey, there's about 50 universities. It's unbelievable. I got into maybe about 10 a year. And the other hack was go for the Ivy Leagues. Now I'm in the Northeast, so there's that's where most of them are. I have spoke at Harvard, Yale, Penn. I haven't spoken at Brown, whoever the other ones are. <laughs> you know, I've been to most of them right? and they've paid me. And so now on my curriculum vitae, it says Mike Michalowicz, you know, speaker at Yale University. Right. And it's true. I also did do it nationally. So when I started traveling for other gigs, if someone said, we'll pay you $500 and cover your travel, shoot, I'll jump all over that. And then I'll try to get a university to make the quote unquote real money, which to me was, you know, 3000 bucks. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so you did this for what, over the course of a couple of years? Yeah, I did it. For maybe two or three years, I have a now a, an agent. Uh, she goes actually by a coordinator, but she'll still sneak one or two in if there's just an opportunity of dead time. So I still do it selectively. But for a while, that's almost what I did exclusively. 
And, oh, and here's the biggest part I forgot. So not only does do you get paid, not only are you getting stuff to put on your resume, mm-hmm. the biggest part was I would tell the chapter president or whatever, bring one of the journalists from the school newspaper, have them at the event. And I said, this is a great way for your club to get further exposure in the school and they can write an article about the event. And I'll gladly, and I, I'd encourage it, like to do an interview with them. And so Very then cool. the, the journalist would come, they'd write an article, they'd interview me. And then it would go in the school paper, which in modern times that we live in, a school paper is now online. They may still print them out, but they're online. And that was the big thing. I remember I spoke at University of Boston. In Boston U, it says, you know, entrepreneur Mike McCallough speaks here. And there was this article with a backlink to my website. Right. So I started getting these amazing backlinks from EDUs, which are the strongest extension or, you know, domains that exist are EDUs. Right. So you get such good link bait from them too. Very clever. Interesting stuff. So it sounds like the goal wasn't necessarily, I want to be a college speaker forever and ever. It's just, I'm just trying to get at bats. I'm just trying to get my foot in the door and yes. this is a way to do it. So how did you start to transition from doing some of those college clubs to transitioning into doing more corporate type of events? There's no question, at least in my mind, that having a book by that point makes a, an impact. I think there's something magical that happens. You know, you, you put something in a book and the written word seems to be in a book seems way more powerful, almost like biblical. I could say something a hundred times on stage or to someone's face, but the second it's in a book, the credibility you put in it's significant and the perception. So by that time, as I was going to these colleges, I was writing a book and starting my second book. And I would start getting some, very few, but some inquiries from organizations that said, hey, we want you to speak here. So I'd ask them, like, how did you find me? And they say, well, one of our members read your book and suggested you as speaker for our event. So that became the hack. What I did was I would sell my books you know, through Amazon and so forth, but discovered a way in many cases to get their names and of the people that buy the books. And, and here's the hack. I go on Amazon, I still do this today, and set up a used bookstore for my own books and sell it uh, at a steep discount not to sell used books and try to make money there, but to get the names of the people. Now I got readers that are buying my books in there. I can include a note saying, I hope you enjoy the book. And if you're a member of an association or some other organization, I'd be privileged to speak at your event and give you special recognition, you know, accordingly or or some kind of gift, you know, get you more books. And uh, that's started getting me leads into more associations and groups because it's not necessarily can be, that the association has a committee that finds you. In some cases, it's a member who strongly suggests that that organization brings in a speaker right. or they even have a call for speakers with their organizations. Who do you want to hear from? So we need to be seeding that as a speaker. No, and I think you bring up a great point there that every association, every conference, every corporation is different in who the decision maker is. And so sometimes it's very, very cut and dry and it's clear who the person is that you need to talk to. And other times it's some committee or some member who's just pushing really, really hard or someone in particular that's hosting the event that year. And so they have the biggest vote. And there's just a lot of different factors that go into it into determining who the decision maker is. So I would totally agree that it seems like so much of being a speaker is just like sowing seed out there. And sometimes, like you said, it may just be like months, if not years before you hear back on some of that stuff. Hey, I saw you speak three years ago at a conference and I really liked it and I remembered it. Oh, and now I'm helping to put on an event in you know, my world and you should come, you know, that type of stuff where you're like, it's really hard to reverse engineer, but it seems like that's so much where so many speaking engagements come from. 
it's truly a, a flywheel. Like, you know, you put all this effort in, in the beginning, it's exhausting. You're trying so hard to get speaking gigs and uh, you can't get any. Uh, and it feels like you're a failure. It's not working, but you're right, Grant. It does sometimes happen three years later, you get that call. So yeah, just plant seeds, plant seeds. One of the things that we were talking about a little bit offline beforehand was something that you've done recently in the past few years to get speaking engagements, which is kind of this, this speakers exchange idea. So kind of talk us through what that is, how that works and how that's been for you. Yeah. So that was kind of stage three. So once I started getting these college gigs and started making a little bit of scratch for myself, I then started getting some associations and speaking and I used that kind of book hack to get in among other things, but it was really the book hack that got me some in some gigs. Now I had something I, I realized I had to offer to other speakers because what surprised me, I wasn't expecting, I would deliver, you know, I thought a killer speech. The query come up and say, that was the best speech we've had in years. You know, you were amazing. Our audience loved you. And then I said, oh, that's so great. Let's do this again. I got another speech I can deliver next year that is a perfect compliment to this. Yep. And they'd say, no, sorry. And I'm like, what do you mean no sorry? You just told me I did a good job. I know. I thought I'm awesome. And they're like, no, you know, our policy is not that the same person back. We, we can't do that. Maybe, maybe four or five years from now. I'm like, what? Right. I just rocked your world. <laughs> so it still doesn't make sense to me that, that they do that, but it's commonplace. So I was like, okay. And then one person once said, but you know, do you know another speaker like you, someone you can recommend? And that was the aha to me. I had the ability to recommend others and others had the ability to recommend me. So I reached out to other speakers. Here's the little hack. Try to connect with speakers that are performing at a level slightly higher than you. And what I mean by performing at a slightly higher level, I'm talking about the compensation. Right. At this point, my honorarium that I was typically getting was somewhere between five, maybe 7,000 per gig. Uh, I was asking, you know, ask for 10, negotiate five to seven. So now I'm trying to find people that are asking for 15 and getting 10. And so Michael Port, Bob Berg, these are some folks I reached out to, puffed my chest up a little bit and said, hey, you know, I think I can throw you guys some gigs. Would you be interested in starting this thing called a speakers exchange? And what the idea, and by the way, I bought the domain because I thought it was so smart until I found out that speakers exchange is also spells speaker sex change. I remember you telling me that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. So, so that was a domain, but (laughs) it worked. Now, as I was telling you offline, it was herding cats, you know, to get Michael Port, Dory Clark was in the group. uh, This guy, Barry Maltz, Bob Berg, getting everyone on a phone call was frustrating. Administering it. I was the administrator hard. And, but what happened was I tell people your job is, we're having a call once a month. Tell me every gig you did last month, every gig you have coming up next month. So we're going to cover two months. Tell me what you're getting paid for those gigs, who the contact is, and if you're willing to refer this out to another member. And sure enough, people started sharing and getting gigs. And I was the most aggressive. So anytime someone had a gig to share, I'm like, I'm on it. I want the referral. And I was following it up. And I had a boost upwards of, you know, maybe 50%. I almost doubled my speaking frequency by doing that. Well. Wow. Sadly, it fell apart. I, I did it for two years. First year was good. Second year, just keeping everyone on schedule and being there, it was too hard and I, I abandoned it. But it got me to that next echelon, that next level. Okay, so a couple of logistical pieces there. So you reached out to Michael and Dory and Bob. Did you have any prior relationship with them? Or were you just kind of this random Joe Schmo? Varying degrees. So Michael, I had a prior relationship and with Dory. 
Bob, I had interviewed, you know, interviews are great. So what we're doing together, it, it builds rapport. So I started interviewing folks. I didn't have a podcast then, but I was doing a blog interview. Right. I also, oh, another little kind of hack is I would write articles, but they would be these listicles where I'd say, you know, the 10 best speaking topics of 2015. Mm -hmm. And then I'd reach out to authors I wanted to connect with and say, what do you think, what's the best speaking topic that applies that you're doing that applies this year? And so then I would write this listicle that would say, you know, Bob Berg is talking about the need to give more than ever before. And then when the article goes live, now I have a reason to call him and, and he's aware of me. So I would do things like that. You basically find ways to serve and support other speakers want, which is exposure in many cases, and use it as a foundation to start building a relationship. Now, I'm assuming within the group, as you're exchanging leads, it sounds like you definitely reaped a lot of the benefit of that group. I have my suspicion, but were you paying anybody commissions or finder's fees or anything like that? No. Yeah. So no monetary exchange. Yep. Uh, the only thing was, if you say you and I are in the group together, if you gave me a gig and I got it, I am obligated for the, that when I do that speech the following year that you get it back. So when they come up to me and say, that was an amazing speech, I'm like, you got to have Grant back. Like Grant Baldwin, and like, he spoke here. Yeah, he's, he's rocking it out. You got to have him back. So the ownership was whoever initiated it. And we had tracked in the spreadsheet so that you would, quote unquote, retain it for the following year. And since we only did it for two years, we saw very few kickbacks, but people were making an effort. And uh, some people didn't. And then we said, you know, this group's not a fit for you. Some people were just kind of trying to ball hog. Right. They left. Right. And I know you and I were talking a little bit beforehand about how I think there's a lot of speakers that have been doing it for a little while and have those relationships and connections that do it kind of informally, but I like some of the structure that you brought to it. You know, I can think of, you know, when people ask me, hey, who's a speaker who fits this profile? I've, and I've got my three, four people in mind that I'm going yeah. to refer, um, right. but doing it like in a formal structure, I think that makes a, a huge, huge difference. And even going back to what we were talking about originally with this, that if they won't bring you back for four or five years, part of what you want to do is to stay on their radar for the yes. next four or five years. So if I go speak this year and they say, you're, you know, we'll have you back in five years and I recommend you, Mike, for next year and you show up and kill it, it makes me look good. And they keep yeah. coming back to me going, who else you got, Grant? Who else you got, Mike? And that type of like rapport and relationship with the client makes a huge, huge difference in them wanting to work with you long term. There's no question about it. There's also a risk of the turnover in the committee itself. So the committee chairs that pick uh, the speakers for this year, maybe volunteers and three, four years from now, it may be a whole new batch of people. True. So what we were trying to do is when, you know, if you refer me in, I have an obligation and a commitment to throw it back to you that your name was getting put back in front of them. And, and if this played out the whole way we wanted, I wanted it to play out, you know, year three, even if someone else got it, you're still the originator is coming back to you. So your name's getting mentioned every year outward going out in case there's a turnover in the committee. Do you still do that somewhat to the formal structure, but are you still doing that with other speakers that you are peers with? Yeah. So I am, but Michael Port would be a good example. So Bob Berg would be another good example. And this guy, Barry Maltz is a great example. They were all in the group and active participants and I benefited from them. So I have that sense of reciprocity. I'm, I'm going to keep giving back to those guys for into perpetuity. Right. And I do want to form a group again one day. I, it was such a powerful system. I just got to figure a way to nail it down a little bit better. 
Cool. One of the things we were uh, talking about a little bit earlier that you mentioned is that you were doing a lot of the booking on your own for a little while. Then you were doing the speaker exchange thing. And then recently you started working with a speaker's agent. So kind of tell us a little bit about what that relationship's like. How did you find that person? How do you pay that person? What's the difference between an agent and a bureau? And kind of talk us through that. Okay. So I worked, I think it's a bureau. There's one in Canada, Speakers CA or something. I can't remember what it is, but it's a really big speaking bureau. I'm like, ah, now I've arrived. I, I was actually for, for a period of time, friends with Simon Sinek and working closely. Actually, he was writing Start With Why. And I was launching my first book too. See what happened to his book when I have compared to mine. He blew out of <laughs> the water. But I still had a relationship with him to a point where now, unfortunately, it's, it's faded. Uh, and I don't, not that I don't talk to him, but he's not accessible. Yeah. And he introduced me to the speakers, CA, whatever. I'm like, ah, now I'm in with this bureau. Like now it's go time. And then nothing happened. Like not a single call. And I'm like, what? This is such a waste. Until one day I had a cold call from an agency. And this agency said, you know, we do what's called exclusive representation, which means we proactively market you. We've heard about you. Are you interested? And I signed up with this agency. I'm not going to share their name. And had an agent there and I hustled for them. Cause I also know that if someone's going to try to serve me, if I can prime the pipe, so to speak, if right. I can get them getting some commission off of me right away, they're going to be anxious to keep doing it. So every time I had a gig, I was pushing so hard to get this agency to close it and help them close it. And it worked. And they started in turn hourly marketing me and got me some gigs. And then that agent got fired and the place was a disaster the owner was not a good person from my experience. So I left them and said, you know what, I'm going to bring it back in house. I hired a part-time assistant and that wasn't working so well. And then I found an agent, the company's called Go Leeward, which is G-O-L, I think it's E-E-W-A-R-D. And small little shop. And what they do is they're a speaking coordinator. At least I think that's what they call themselves, not an agent. And here's how they play it differently and why it's working so well for me. They will do exclusive representation. So any gig I get, I do send to them. But if I originate a gig, they could take 10% as opposed to most agencies, I think take 25%, which is substantial. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, huge. So my former agency was taking that 25%. So her agency, Go Leeward, takes 10%. If you originate the gig and then they do the contract negotiations, which they'll boost the numbers. Then- what they do is they work with multiple speakers. They do that same thing I was trying to do with speakers, mm -hmm. that circulation of gig. They just do that on automatic. So I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't think it's as powerful as doing it myself and facilitating it myself, but it works. They bring leads to the table. And then if they originate a gig, they take 20%, so it's still less expensive. But my favorite part, and I think it's so smart, and it also points to trust, is they don't take a single check from the client. So they'll talk to all the clients and say, yes, we're, we're Mike's coordinator. We're helping facilitate all the arrangements and here's the prices, honorarium, blah, blah, blah. And once they finalize it, the client sends a check to me. And I, in turn, then get an invoice from Go Leeward and I pay them. The benefit is from the client's perception is there's no agency middleman. So they're not seeing an inflated fee. Right. They're not, that extra 25% isn't baked in. And it really isn't. The, my stated rates stay my stated rates. So the client isn't being taken advantage of. They're getting, if they called me directly and I booked it directly, which I have the right to do, by the way, or if the agency speaks it, uh, books it directly, they don't get charged anything differently. The only thing is it's so much easier to work with this agency. You know, they just 
coordinate everything. I would never want to take it myself. Plus, I know the importance of reciprocity. Just give them every single gig. Right. So, so far, it's been two years. Love it. I actually had a call this morning. They just got me a gig in Las Vegas. So, boom. So, okay, let's talk about that piece, though, where I think outside looking in, especially for like new up and coming emerging speakers, it, it sounds very, very glamorous of, oh, I'll just get in with a bureau. I'll just, I'll just right. get an agent. I'll just call the site that he just gave. I'm just going to email them and say, yes. hey, I'm a speaker. Let's do it. So kind of talk us through like what's realistic and what's not for speakers that may be listening as in terms of those that may be intrigued by an agent. Yeah, I think your first two years with an agency, from my experience, you got to be priming the pump, meaning 95% of the gigs are going to be generated by you, which seems so unfair. Yeah. So unfair. But that's what I found. 95%. Go leeward, they generate a lot. But the trade off is this they say sometimes we're, and this is the agreement, if we have a gig that we think is a good marketing position for you, we are going to extraordinarily discount your fee and you have to accept it. I mean, I've done gigs literally for a thousand dollars. Actually, let me take it back. I did one three months ago for free to this organization called EO, which is entrepreneurs organization. Right. And they said, the reason we're sending you out there is uh, there's going to be all these, these people out there that are basically, they call them learning chairs. They're event coordinators. Basically they're going to be watching this event. We're going to put you on as a marquee speaker, but you are not going to get paid a penny. And you have to do this because this is how we're going to generate leads. And they've already now closed four or five engagements, paid engagements through that. So the hustle doesn't stop. Right. It doesn't stop. You got to hustle hard. And I think I will still be self-generating 80% to 70% of my gigs I get this year uh, myself. So I think that's a great point we can kind of wrap up on is that you've been doing this for several years. You've been very successful. You have multiple books out. And so sometimes it's easy outside looking in to think, oh, well, he just, he just coasts. He's got an agent. He, <laughs> right, right, you know, right. he got some books and all of a sudden, you know, deals just fall in his lap and he gets to speak yeah. at all these high profile events and speaks to something and it turns into all these other things. And that's just the way it is for those people at the top. It's like, no, no, no. Like behind the scenes, like you're still the one that seems to be driving the ship in terms of getting speaking engagements and that so much of of what has built to this point isn't because you got lucky, isn't because you just met someone randomly. It's because you've been very, very strategic and just hustling along the way to build the business to the point that it's at. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, more than fair. You got to work your ass off and it doesn't stop. Right. It doesn't stop. And you don't know the one that's going to feed another too. So today, my the honorarium I ask is 20,000. It's important to say ask because I don't get paid 20,000 often. I would say 10% of my gigs are now 20,000, but most of them are, are negotiated now, but the majority are over 10,000. And some of those gigs have come because I was willing to do and continue willing to do freebies. I'm willing to go where no one else will go to keep that flywheel building because you don't know who's going to be at an event that's going to turn you on to the next big one. Here's an example. I did an event I can't remember where it was. I think it was in Victoria, Canada, which is past Washington. Beautiful area. But for an East Coaster, a pain in the ass to get to. It was a $1,500 gig. But you know, my attitude is I'm going to take it. Well, the coordinator for the Office Depot Foundation was there, which is Division of Office Depot that gives back to the community. She saw me speak and said, we're going to have you as our keynote at the event. Fast forward six months later, I'm speaking at Office Depot, 600 people in the audience. I don't feels appropriate to share the, the compensation. Let me tell you, it, not bad. So <laughs> you, you, you got to keep hustling. You got to keep hustling. 
That's so I'm true. That I was having this conversation with a, another speaker earlier that you just never know who's in the audience or what it's going right. to lead to. And even going back to what we st- talked about at the very beginning, that it's a lot of just throwing seed out there, and sometimes it's going to stick and land, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, but continuing to stay after it. So, hey, Mike. Well, we appreciate the time, man, and uh, I'd encourage people to stop by, check out your site. If people want to find you, uh, we talked about it at the beginning, but refresh our memories. Where can we go? Yeah, so I'll give you two hacks. So Mike Motorbike, we'll bring it to Mike Michalowicz. Uh, But also you can Google me and the real easy way to do it is you type in Mike, my first name, and then spacebar Mick, M-I-C, the longest, most Polish name that drops down. That's me. <laughs> that. And uh, I got tons of stuff up my site. Plus, I, I some sample speaking gigs too, if you want to see them. I was going to say, people need to go to your site just to see the number of uh, photo shoot pictures you have taken <laughs> here in all types of outfits and environments. So <laughs> I would encourage people to stop by just to see that alone. It's impressive. So Mike Motorbike, thanks for hanging out with us, brother. We appreciate it. Thank you, brother. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike Michalowicz. Michalowicz is just a fun name to say. Just Michalowicz. Michalowicz. Just try it. Oh, seriously, do it. Michalowicz. That was fun. Did we say it at the same time? That was fun too. If you're driving down the road just saying it to yourself right now, I hope it's stuck in your head for the rest of the day. I hope someone in traffic is looking at you just talking to yourself. That's okay. There's no shame in that. I just I hope someone else is experiencing the joy that you're experiencing when you say Michalowicz. Okay, let's move on, boys and girls. Hey, thanks for listening. Appreciate you being here. Again, uh, let me remind you to stop by thespeakerlab.com slash guide to pick up that free guide on seven steps on how to find and book paid speaking engagements. The guide's totally free. It is beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, well designed. So definitely pick that up. Check it out. All right, my friends. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.